Mars is going to walk you through Uh, I hope you have a blessed Christmas. And uh, for the next few minutes, I just want to share a little bit from God's Word. I know some of you men have a lot of Christmas shopping to still do tonight. I'm going to make sure you get to, we'll get to Walgreens and enough time to get that. So I understand. Yeah. Question for you. Uh, how do you have a, a new baby in your life? Uh, you know, like a, a son or daughter? Maybe a, a niece or nephew, grandchild. Yeah, a couple of you. I see that right here. Yeah. Um, well, actually, how many of you like you've seen a baby before in your life, and like you get the general idea? Yeah. Okay. I thought so. A couple like is going to have a baby, and they go out and they get a baby name book, or maybe that's what we used to do, and they flip through the pages of this book and looking at names, trying to pick out a name, select a name that kind of matches what they think this child will be. And maybe it's too early, and they don't even know if this is a boy or a girl. And so they get the girls list going, and they get the boys list going. We have a James Roberts. But we almost didn't have a James Roberts. Uh, we wanted to honor our dads, my dad being named James, and Shree's dad being named Roberts. But we were living in the hills of Kentucky uh, at the time, and we thought there was a pretty good chance he would never be James Robert, but rather he might be, might go by Jimmy Bob. And, and just in our opinion, uh, it didn't sound quite as real of a name. So we strategized how to get the name James Robert out there in the first year of his life, and we succeeded. So we have a James Robert Raymond. The call will come from the delivery room. One day, many days, the call comes, hey, mom, dad, you're a grandparent. Her name is Sophia, but we're going to call her Sophia. Or the call to the brother, dude, you're an uncle, and his name is Corey. And unto them, a child is born, and she shall be called Sophie, and he shall be called Corey. And here is the scripture that we're looking at tonight. In the Old Testament, 700 years before the time of Jesus, Isaiah the prophet writes this verse that you know. For unto us a child is born. It's a birth announcement. Unto us a son is given. It's a boy. A boy. What's his name? And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Does that sound complicated? to anyone. Does that sound like a complicated name? In this culture, in this time that Isaiah's writing, a name was actually not just a name like we know it, a name signified the essence. So Isaiah is saying, prophesying seven centuries before the time of Christ, that the very essence of this child will be a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So I'm going to begin with a question tonight. Why do they need to know that? I mean, this is written about Jesus, but it's written way, way before the time of Jesus. Why did they need that? When it says that Jesus would come as a wonderful counselor, just curious, what type of counsel were they getting at the time when this prediction that someday, someday he would come and he would be called wonderful counselor? 
Now, this verse we just said is in Isaiah chapter 9. Do you mind that for a second if we look back just a little bit before that to another passage that will help us understand this? In Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19. When somebody tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not that people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Where were the people turning for their counsel? In an area that we might, in our day-to-day, we would call the occult. And this is among God's chosen people, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. So be shocked and stunned for a moment at where their counsel is coming from. That when the words Isaiah would write about wonderful counselor, he describes that these were dark days, and they were indeed very dark. He's basically trying to challenge the people, and he says, why are you trying to conjure up these dead spirits to get advice? Shouldn't you ask and consult your God rather than these dead spirits? It's uh, uh, startling for the people of Israel. If you were walking the halls here at Windover Hills or here at the school we meet in, and you ran into Rich Brindle, who's our vice chairman of our board, and you said, hey, Rich, how do you come up with the ideas of new programs and what you're going to do around here, like what night they'll meet on and how much finances will go to them and, and, and how many teachers do you need? How do you come up with that kind of stuff? And Rich would say, well, it's actually interesting. I'm glad you asked. Many people don't know this, but uh, we, we get together, kind of the elders in a room, and we turn on the lights. And the lights and candles, we sit in a circle and uh, we channel a little bit and we call upon the dead spirits. What we should do. And if Rich responded that way, you might expect that there's been a small theological shift in the life of Wendover Hills. Or if you went to your small group leader, which we do small groups around here, and you would say, I'm having the hardest time making a decision, just finding some clarity in life. And your small group leader, like a good small group leader, would say, Well, have you consulted God? Have you looked to God for wisdom? And you would say, I have, but I just haven't felt like I've received an answer. With a serious face, your small group leader looked at you and said, uh, Do you have a Ouija board? You <laughs> would be stunned. You would be shocked that among God's people, such darkness had descended. That when they needed life counsel, they would get it from the dark side, mediums and spiritists. My friends, when Isaiah is saying, Someday, that the Christ will come and he will be a wonderful counselor, please understand where they're getting their counsel from. They needed this. In fact, the next verse has this whole light and dark motif as we continue. Listen to this, Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20 now. Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. Isaiah is telling them, look, go to the scriptures. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no what? No light of dawn. He's saying, it's dark. It's dark. So this is what's going on in the days of Isaiah when he's writing. But no, 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 no. It's much worse. Because they had this king by the name of King Ahaz. And Ahaz was about to lead them into some of the darkest days of their history. 
King Ahab would see the process of creating these like political alliances that would just absolutely sink their nation. A time's coming really soon that we call the Babylonian captivity. The, the, the country of Babylon, they're going to sweep in to Israel, they're going to sweep in through the south, and they are going to just take over and destroy Jerusalem. And anyone that happens to survive this war, they're going to get deported 500 miles away to the country of Babylon. Do, do you understand this? This happened in our history. It's right around the corner from when Isaiah was writing. I mean, understand that when they were receiving this advice or counsel from who they called their king, the advice they were receiving was about to put them in a new dark age as a people. So what was the counsel they were receiving? Quite simply, it was darkness and death. That's what it led to. Dude, thanks for the Christmas message. Really encouraging and uplifting. Appreciate the invite tonight. This is where chapter 8 ends. But chapter 9 begins with a vision. And it's a vision of the future. It's a vision of Messiah coming. Chapter 9, verse 2, Isaiah writes this. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Of those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And it's just a few verses later, what we read earlier. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor. The light of dawn will arise, and it will push out this terrible reign of King Ahaz. The light's going like, to roll in, it's going to push out the darkness that they have been living through. What Isaiah's prophecy is really saying here, 700 years before the time of Christ, is that darkness will not get the final word. The people Isaiah is talking to, they're traveling through the darkest time in their history, and as he's writing here, his prophecy, darkness is not going to get the final word. Darkness will not be the final chapter of our story. Do you need to hear that tonight? I know some of you right now, you're passing through a season of your life that, that's like on the upside, and the upside is like astronomical. And everything that you're experiencing or touching right now has just been wonderful. And yet I know, at the same time, some of you are walking through deeper times this season. For some of you, 2015, this is the year you will remember as the year the adoption fell through. Or this is the year you're going to look back and you're going to reflect on this season and you're going to remember that long-awaited hope for pregnancy, it ended in another negative test. For some of you, it's just another Christmas with the kids at your ex's place. Or you're the kid going to your, your other home. And you know, it, it's not like we all believe in the Norman Rockwell Christmas picture or the Hallmark card that we see on the shelf. But... But you're driving uh, on Christmas Eve to drop the kids off and back on Christmas Day to pick them up and, and trying to just kind of get through it, feeling like everything is normal and as it should be, but you know inside something just doesn't feel right. For many, quite frankly, this is just not the most joyful season of the year. For some of you, this is the first Christmas without a loved one. Or you lost a loved one years ago, but something about the Christmas time just brings it all back the same. 
And then any of you, if you look over and confess, you just say, I'm job hunting. Again. Employment, unemployment, employment, unemployment. And this, you would confess, is the season of darkness for you. I have something I want to say to you, if that's you. May our gracious God send light that invades your darkness. May he send true, real laughter that pierces through your grief. May this season of difficulty also be a season of real, true joy. May our God who speaks goodness into your life. So this season of confusion could be followed by a season of clarity. May the dark valley through which you are traveling be interrupted by God's gracious light. Isaiah's writing in the dark days of King Ahaz, to those walking in darkness, a light begins to shine. Why? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. And the people went. The seasons came and the seasons go. Years, decades, empires rose, empires fell. First the Babylonians and the Persians and the Greeks and now the Roman Empire has come in. And guess what? This child is born. The scripture says that Mary she brings forth a son. We have the nativity that we celebrate. You have God coming to earth in human form, and you have Christ with us right there in the manger. Who is it? It's Jesus. But you know who else it is? Right there in that manger is wonderful counsel. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, right there in a feeding trough in a stable. He is here now. A disciple by the name John, he followed Jesus for three years, and this is how he writes about Jesus' coming in the book of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. And check out verse 4. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. John writes, in him there was life, the baby, and that life was the light. Jesus brought it with him. And I wonder, I just wonder, when John's writing, was he thinking about this prophecy 700 years before from Isaiah? Into the darkness a light will shine. Those walking through that shadow of death will see a light of dawn. Well, you may know Jesus doesn't stay a baby, right? He becomes a toddler, he grows, he matures, he becomes a young adult, then an adult. Disciples start to follow Jesus and start to listening to his teachings. I find some of his teachings disturbing and disruptive. The scripture says that when Jesus saw the crowd, he went on the hillside and he sat down, and the disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. We know this as the Sermon on the Mount. Part of the Sermon on the Mount says this. You've heard it was said, love your neighbors and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of the Father in heaven. Does that sound weird to anybody but me? I mean, who Jesus? 
You know how it works, right? You bless the people who are blessing you, and you curse the people who are cursing you. You hate the people who hurt you. I mean, even as I say that, can you feel the darkness coming out? Can I ask you something? Anybody ever hurt you? Mom, dad, business partner, maybe your boss, teacher, a fellow believer, spouse? Got another question. Uh, what are you going to do with that? You know this. Wounds unhealed, they fester. And they unguarded and uncorrected, they turn this, this dark, bitter shade. First, the darkness happens to you, then it kind of stirs within you, and then maybe the darkness happens through you. And Jesus is saying here, you don't have to live that way. When he says, pray for those who persecute you and love those who harm you, maybe Jesus is on this mission to help us not become angry, bitter old people. What if this is wonderful counselor? What if this is a counsel from the creator who made us and knows us and loves us? And when Jesus is speaking there on the hillside, it's like he's on a rescue mission to rescue us from the darkness and pull the darkness from us. What if this is wonderful counselor? That same talk, the Sermon on the Mount, the next, very next chapter, Jesus would say these words, and they might be familiar to you, store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, or do not, uh, where, where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What was he talking about here? Is he talking about like compulsive spending? Or is he talking about like obsessive saving or stingy giving? Maybe he's talking about all of these things, but he drops this bomb at the end. There your treasure, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, so a woman goes into her closet, right? And there's clothes everywhere. Every every place is filled, every spot on the rack is taken, stuffing and stacked on the floor, and she asks the age-old question looking at this, uh, why do I have nothing to wear? <laughs> I was at a marriage conference once, and a speaker uh, said, when a woman says she has nothing to wear, she means she has nothing to do. And when a guy says he has nothing to wear, it means he has nothing to clean. That's <laughs> She goes, why do I have nothing to wear? And this leads to a woman inside. She says, every single item I have, I liked at one point or I wouldn't have bought it. Why do I love everything I buy and hate everything I own? But then she asks a deeper question. Why do I shop when I'm lonely or bored? Now, men, don't sound too large here because we only need to look at the toys in our garage and insert yourself right in the same story. And then finally, the main question hits him or her. What if the empty space I'm trying to fill isn't in my closet? And Jesus just whispers that where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. And Jesus is communicating somehow that my heart gets attached to this stuff in ways that I can never quite understand and fully appreciate. 
What if this is wonderful counselor? What if the creator of the world, the one who made us, who knows us, who loves us, is on this rescue mission to rescue us from our compulsive accumulation of stuff that never really fills the deep void anyway? What if this is wonderful counselor? Now, Jesus, one time, his disciples are having an argument. And this really happened. They argued his disciples. In this particular argument, they're arguing about who's the greatest. And I think it's kind of an inter infrastructure thing to argue about who's going to be the president, the vice president, the secretary, and this type of argument. And as they're arguing, Jesus notices, and he drops this statement on them found in Mark chapter 10. He says, For even the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus looks at his disciples right in the midst of their arguments and says, Look, 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 guys, guys, I came to this planet not to be served, but to serve and to give my life. To give up my life. I came to serve and to give. Another question for you. Do self-centered, self-absorbed people annoy you? They annoy me. Now, I don't know why self-centered, self-focused people annoy you, but uh, they annoy me because they're always thinking about themselves when they shouldn't be thinking about me. <laughs> I have a confession. Apart from the saving work of Jesus Christ and this transforming power of the Holy Spirit, I am capable of thinking about myself pretty much all the time. It's like mission Tom. And I kind of like it. It feels right. And Jesus kind of whispers in and he says, come on, mission Tom. I said, well, what's wrong with mission Tom? It's a, it's a good mission. And he said, well, here's the problem. Jesus says, it's too small. It's a pretty small mission. And Jesus says, I need you to live for something beyond yourself. You're too small of a mission to live for. for follow me. I came to serve. I came to give. It is a bigger, better mission. What if this is wonderful counselor? What if the counsel of the creator God, the one who loves us and knows us, has this to offer? And he's on this rescue mission to rescue us from this self-centered, self-absorbed living and to deliver us from that darkness. What if this is wonderful counselor? One of the most challenging questions that Jesus ever asked his disciples, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? Why do you call me Lord and not follow my direction? That's one of the most challenging questions Jesus ever puts out there. So let me ask you a question. Really, two questions here. Over the past year, is there some area of your life where God whispered into you and he said, hey, let's do some growing here? And did you say yes? Is it over the past year, by God's grace, that you said yes? That you said, I'm going to leave this pattern behind. I'm going to leave this habit behind. I'm going to walk away from this addiction. This anger issue has got to go. Uh, we've got to change the way we focus on our finances because the pattern of the past life this year has just been insanity. <clears throat> has God been attempting to direct you and did you say yes? 
I know for a whole bunch of you, that would be your story. And you'd say, look, I'm not perfect, but I'm moving in a direction. I'm being led by God. And if that's your case, can I just tell you for a moment to take that moment and experience the smile of your Heavenly Father? Your Father in Heaven who says to you, Preacher, keep moving. It's not perfection, it's direction. So keep moving this direction. That's question number one. Here's question number two. Any chance God's been leaning on you and saying, listen, uh, this needs to change. It's dark, really dark in your life. And if you keep on this path, you're going to end up hurting a lot of people, including yourself. And any chance you cross your arms and said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go down that road. I'm not going to make that change. I'm hanging on to this stuff. I'm not forgiving. I would just want to plead with you tonight. If your gracious God has been attempting to speak into you and get your attention, and you said no, you've been kind of stiff-arming God on some issue, would today be the day that you could open up your hands and you could just say to God, God, I want a new movement in my life. I need a new movement in my life. Pull this darkness from me. I want life and light. What would that look like for you today? I mean, like, really, today, I know it's Christmas Eve, but what would it look like right now if you open yourself up to him and say, God, I need you so badly. Today, for you, that's wonderful answer. He made you. He knows you. He loves you. He's on this rescue mission to rescue from the darkness and to bring the dawn of light to your life. And you don't have to wait because unto us a child was born. Unto us a child was given. It's Christmas morning. A woman's driving to her parents' house. I mean, this is the house she grew up in. This is the street she grew up on. She learned how to ride her bike on this street. She's with her husband now, and they get close to their parents' house, and she pulls into the driveway. She sees her younger brother's car on the street. He's home from college. And as they pull in, they park, and they look, and the older brother's car is parked in the driveway. He's married as well at home and already in the house. And her husband starts to take some, some bags of food in, and she takes a couple of gifts, just two little boxes. They look pretty much the same. They're presents. Presents for her parents. T-shirts. T-shirts. Not really much of a gift to give parents, is it? <laughs> but with the opening of these gifts, will come the announcement that a baby is on the way. Because one says, Grandpa. And another says, Grandma. And to them, that family, a child is born. He or she will be called well, they don't really know yet. But the child is coming. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Do you need to hear that tonight? He's here. Let me pray for it. Father, we thank you that you are a wonderful counselor, 
that you are on this rescue mission to rescue us from the darkness of our life, that if we were to confess, Lord, sometimes we, we put our, ourselves right into it by some of our choices and actions and paths we take. And Father, tonight, we look to you and we know you have something so brilliant and bright, light-filled to offer us. So we thank you, Lord, for it. And Lord, if there be anyone tonight that this is the night to say, I need you, God, so badly, would they even right now, right this moment where they sit, just say, Lord, I need you. I've been living for myself my own way without you. Please come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. I want to live for you. If your heart wants to plead that and say that to God, you say it. And he is a God who promises through our word to hear you as an individual and to receive everything you offer him this evening. Lord, would you bless, bless his family, bless every relationship here. Men in the building, if it needs right here, we give it to you in your son's name. Well, we want to invite you as we close out this service to sing a song with us as a traditional song that you know called